there, Spookies, and welcome back to the Appalachian Spooky Hour. Or just welcome if you're new here. I want to take a moment just to say thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. We are constantly striving to grow our podcast, and you're all part of that. We are thankful and appreciative for all y'all who've been here since episode one, and to all of you who are listening right now. Without y'all, we're nothing. And I just wanted to let you know that we are so thankful to have you as part of our Spooky Squad. Now, tonight we're going to talk about a pretty famous Appalachian ghost story. Our story starts with the death of a young woman from West Virginia named Zona Hester Shue and ends with the indictment of a young man for murder. It's quite the ride, so let's dive in. Elva Zona Heaster Shue, who went by Zona, was born in 1876 in Meadow Bluff, Greenbrier County, West Virginia, to Jacob Hedges Heaster and Mary Jane Robinson Heaster. There isn't much more that's known about Zona's early years or about her family life. Facts about her life are strangely hard to come by, but honestly, not that surprising given that it was her death that made her famous here in Appalachia. We can only assume that Zona's life was like that of any other young woman at that period in time. You know, living with her family, helping to tend her younger siblings, and waiting for a respectable prospective husband to come along. There's no notion that her life at home might have been unusual or strained, and we can also assume, based on what happened later, that Zona was likely close to her mother, Mary Jane. Enter, this is quite the name, guys, Erasmus Stribling Shoe, known to his friends and family as Trout. You cannot make that kind of nickname up. Appalachia is a haven for strange nicknames. My family's full of them. So Trout. He was a black-haired, blue-eyed, handsome fellow who was 15 years older than Zona at the time of their meeting. Now, Trout moved to Greenbrier County from Pocahontas County, which is also in West Virginia, to work in a blacksmith shop. He was employed by a man named James Crookshank, who owned the shop in Livesey's Mill, located in Lewisburg. He arrived uh, sometime in the late summer of 1896 to work this job, and this is when he first met Zona. Y'all, this romance moved very quickly, like, definition of whirlwind. On October 20th of that year, just weeks or mere months after meeting, Zona Heaster married Trout Shoe at the Old Methodist Church in Livesay's Mill. After they were wed, the pair moved into a two-story house on the other side of Sewell Mountain. Now, this is where Zona's mother, Mary Jane, also lived in a home that she possibly rented from the founder of the town itself, William Livesay. Life was simple, but it was good. Trout had steady work as a blacksmith, and he was well-respected by the people of the town. Zona was a young, happy wife, 
you know, just settling into her new home with her new husband. She was just this carefree 20-year-old, just, you know, new to life, basically. New, you know, new to being married, running her own home instead of helping her mother and hers. Probably for par- preparing for having a family. You know, the things people did back then. On January 22nd, 1987, everything changed. Not just for the family of Zona, but for the town of Livesay and Greenbrier County itself. Sometime between the day of her wedding and the day of her death, Zona fell ill. J.M. Knapp, the family doctor, treated Zona for her illness and declared that she would feel better in just a few weeks. Chalk it up to winter, perhaps, when sickness tends to run more rampant. You know, either way, Zona was not well and wasn't quite able to perform her daily chores around the house. On the morning of the 22nd, Trout, Zona's dear new husband, called upon Martha Jones at her home. Martha was a neighbor and was affectionately known by many in the town as Aunt Martha. So Trout calls upon Aunt Martha and asks her to send her son, 11-year-old Anderson, known as Andy, around to the house to do some chores for Zona that she couldn't do herself as she was still in recovery from this mystery illness. Andy was busy, ironically doing odd jobs for Dr. Knapp so he couldn't help out at the shoe house until later in the evening. Trout just kept returning to Martha's home to pick up Andy throughout the day, growing more irritable and impatient with every visit, as the boy was still busy and couldn't tend to helping Zona. Finally, sometime in the late afternoon, Andy did make his way to the shoe house, where he got the shock of his life, to say the least. What Andy discovered was absolutely horrific. There was a trail of blood that led the boy to the body of Zona, who was laying near the bottom of the stairs. Like any child of 11 would do, Andy ran home to his mother who in turn called on Dr. Knapp and Trout, telling them to hurry to the shoe home as fast as they can. Now, Trout beat Dr. Knapp to the house. That's important fact to remember for later. Trout got there first. By the time the good doc arrived... Trout had already carried Zona upstairs and put her on the bed. He even dressed her in different clothing than what she was wearing when Andy found her lifeless body near the stairs. He had put his wife into a dress with a high neck and very stiff collar. I'm sure you guys can imagine that. You see them a lot in shows like Gunsmoke and and old Western movies. You know, the women's 
dress with a very tightly buttoned bodice and the very high collared neck, sometimes trimmed in like lace. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. He also swathed her neck and head in crepe veil, which is just a very thin veil material. Dr. Knapp arrives and he does a very general observation of the situation, barely even looking over the body. He's quoted as saying out loud, It is an everlasting faint. Her heart has failed. In case you don't know, an everlasting faint just meant heart attack. It was just a very flowery phrase that they used at the time. In his report, Dr. Knapp listed the initial cause of death as childbirth. Childbirth, heart attack. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm confused. The report says childbirth out loud he says it's an everlasting faint her heart has failed i guess kind of it's implied that she was in childbirth and had a heart attack but her body was found on the floor I don't, okay let's just move on just let that sink in though <laughs> just for a minute before we continue childbirth heart attack so trout meanwhile keeps acting very, very bizarre. He insisted on helping to prepare the body for burial. Maybe not that unusual at the time. There are still practices like that today. People want to prepare their loved ones for burial. But normally I think it wasn't the husband's thing. I think it was more of a women of the family clean and dress the body, but okay. He wants to help prepare the body for burial. He placed her in the casket himself and was always the one to handle her head specifically. He put a folded sheet in the casket beside of her head and on the other side of her head he placed an article of clothing. Spoiler alert, this was presumably to stop her head from swiveling around and flopping around on her. Um, you know, broken neck, but I digress. He claimed this would help her quote-unquote rest easier. And then he tied a large scarf around her neck. He then worked up some very dramatic tears, declaring that the scarf was Zona's favorite. So as was tradition at the time, Zona's body was then taken to her mother's home. When the casket was opened up, Shu planted himself at the head of the casket and remained there for the entire viewing and funeral. The next day, after sitting up with the dead all night, probably with Shu still standing by her head, Zona was buried with very little fanfare in the Soul Chapel Methodist Cemetery. And that was supposedly that. But we know that this is a ghost story. So here's the good part. So a couple of months after Zona's death, her mother 
Mary Jane Heaster, claims that she had a vision from the spirit of her daughter and that Zona told her that her neck was squeezed off at the first joint. So things are heating up a little. So Mary Jane rallies up her brother-in-law, Johnson Heaster, and the two went into Lewisburg to meet with prosecutor John A. Preston. At first he was skeptical. I mean, it's not every day a ghost turns up to accuse their killer. But after questioning Mary Jane for several hours, he finally became convinced that they had some basis there for at least an investigation. Dr. Knapp was then consulted and did agree that he may have misdiagnosed the cause of death. They then start to dig into Shu's background and found that he had served time in a penitentiary and had also been married two times previously with both of those wives also dying under mysterious circumstances. One of the wives died from a broken neck after she supposedly fell from a haystack. The other died while helping her husband repair a chimney. She was on top the chimney and had his wife placing rocks into a basket that had a rope attached to it. Supposedly, when it was drawn up, the basket overturned and dropped the rocks onto his wife's head. This guy was absolutely a freaking black widow. In the next step, they exhumed Zona's body under order and an inquest jury was assembled. Things were moving fast now. Trout complained about the exhumation, but he was plainly told that he would be forced to attend the inquest if he refused to go willingly. Then the idiot gives a rebuttal, and what he said is just truly astounding, y'all. Like, this came out of this man's mouth. He knew that he would be arrested, but I quote him here. They will not be able to prove that I did it. Who says that? He does openly acknowledge that she was indeed murdered and he's fully implicating himself. Trout Shoe was clearly not that bright. Am I right? Like, you guys see this too? On March 9th, the autopsy report comes out. It's quoted as saying the following. The discovery was made that the neck was broken and the windpipe smashed. On the throat, there were marks of fingers indicating that she had been choked. The neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed at the point in front of the neck. She was arrested and taken to jail in Lewisburg. And that June, the case came before the grand jury. On the 22nd of that month, the jury gave a guilty verdict after only an hour and 10 minutes of deliberating. He was convicted on circumstantial evidence, technically, which sounds better in the papers than being convicted because of the testimony of a ghost. He was sentenced to life in prison after there was an attempted lynching just a few days after the sentence came down. Old Trout Shoe got sent to prison in Moundsville and died less than three years later in 1900, so kind of a happy ending, yeah? So what about Mary Jane Heaster? 
Zona's mother. She was the star witness for Preston. Though he t- didn't touch on the ghost subject while questioning her, trying to stick to only the known actual facts. Shu's lawyer, however, employed a different tactic. He tried to frame her as an unreliable witness, asking her question after question about her daughter's ghostly visits while cross-examining her. This really backfired on him because her story never changed and the judge had a hard time getting the jury to ignore the ghost story. Many, many people in this small community absolutely believed Mary Jane and supported her. This woman absolutely succeeded in avenging the death of her daughter and putting away a murderer. Mary Jane lived until 1916 and is buried near her daughter, along with her husband, in the same small cemetery. The state of West Virginia erected a historical marker in honor of Zona. Interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Hester Shoe. It reads, Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison. Only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. You can visit the marker and Zona's grave, along with that of her mother, in the Seoul United Methodist Church Cemetery. Some even claim that Zona still walks among the graves there, and if you're lucky enough, you just might catch a glimpse of her. Spookies, this was a roller coaster ride. There were a lot of details I chose to cut for the sake of time, but if you have the inclination, it's worth looking up more information on the trial and how the facts laid themselves out. There were more testimonies given, including young Andy, who found Zona's body. It's an interesting case, especially when you consider that the entire thing was set in motion by an apparition that appeared to a grieving mother. Was it really a ghost that visited Mary Jane Heaster? Or was her grief simply so deeply rooted that she hallucinated? Or did Mary Jane know more about Zona's home life than anyone ever realized? Did she know her daughter was being abused by her husband? If that were the case, wouldn't she have spoken up before instead of waiting until after her daughter was already weeks buried? Obviously, we can't ask Mary Jane or Zona these questions, but it is something to think about. A ghost coming back from the grave to accuse and convict her murderer? It's a wild thought for sure, and a bit hard to wrap your head around. But the facts are right there. Mary Jane Heaster never changed her story and never wavered. And it turned out that Shu absolutely... did 
kill his young wife, practically admitting it out loud after being accused. What do you guys think? I like to believe that Zona did come to her mother, seeking help from the person she was closest to in the world. And you know, they say a mother's love never falters, and that was certainly true for Mary Jane Heaster. That's all for this one, Spookies. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. After the end of August, we are moving to a weekly format, so there'll be a new episode every week, and we're going to have a new episode every week until the 28th of November. That will be the last one, and then we'll take a season break and come back in January for season four. At least that's the plan right now if nothing else changes. Don't forget, on September 13th, we'll have a live show from the Super Haunted Farnsworth Inn in Gettysburg. And remember, Spookies, until next time, don't go outside alone after dark.